Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. when a quiet, middle-aged man is gunned down in his own home. There was what appeared to be a brain matter on the walls and ceiling. The residents of laid-back Palm Harbor, Florida, are shaken. I've lived in this area for 27 years, and I can't remember of anything like this happening. For more than two years, investigators come up empty. We actually had nothing, nothing to work with. Then a surprise find three states away reignites the case. The chances of finding that gun, I would say, are slim. And a surprise witness leads them to an unexpected killer. The story that she told and the details she gave, I knew when we finished that she was telling the truth. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Palm Harbor, Florida. A small seaside town. A sparkling gem nestled along the Gulf Coast. Once a sleepy fishing village, it's now a bustling resort. Palm Harbor is a place filled with history and wonderful stories. A very friendly community where you can feel very safe that people are watching out for you. One of those people is 56-year-old David Luntz, a former Marine, a father of two, a man starting a new job as an airplane machinist. David's not a rich man, but he is doing well. A few years back, he and his second wife, Laura, moved here from just outside icy Buffalo, New York, one of America's snowiest cities. He enjoyed being outside, so I'm sure that uh, the weather was conducive to his personality. For David, 
A new home also means some new friends, like Fred, Zip, Cortez. I went with a lady that lived two doors from David, and one day she said that a new couple had moved in down the street and we should go welcome them to the neighborhood. The two couples become fast friends, dinners together, hanging out by the pool. Life in Palm Harbor is good. But David's happiness is short-lived. Just five years later, cancer makes him a widower. David was strong personality, so uh, I'm sure that he mourned in his own private way. But after Laura passed away, he went on with life. Laura's death is a real blow. David finds himself alone for the first time in decades. Even his two kids by his first wife are strangers. Distant reminders of a rocky first marriage that lasted just a few years. I never did ask a lot of questions, but I always got the impression that David and the children didn't, just didn't get along. For David, Zip's friendship is a real lifesaver. Moral support when he needs it most. At Laura's funeral, something was said about us getting together every once in a while, and I thought it was a good idea to do something with him to keep him occupied. So just about every Friday evening, the two head downtown for a drink or maybe a bite to eat. David loves to talk, especially after a few martinis. And one evening, in early March of 2003, barely a month after Laura's death, he's got some news. He told me that he met a lady on the beach, and her name was Lynn. And I, I, I kept going like, yeah, yeah. Lynn's attractive, a psychologist, and a few years David's junior. And he finally said, what will people think? Because his wife died like, you know, 30 days before. Zip's a good bit older than David, and he knows life is short. He's always looking to the future, and he wants David's future to be a bright one. I told him it didn't matter to me. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it's great. But sometimes, a new start is simply not meant to be. For 16 years, Deputy Brett Savage has been patrolling the streets of Palm Harbor. Not a cushy job, but most calls aren't exactly front-page news. Palm Harbor is a suburban area. A typical night, uh, it can vary. There can be numerous dispatch calls in reference to uh, family troubles, juvenile problems, neighbor disputes. Translation, pretty minor stuff. That is, until the events of the evening of March 8, 2003, stop the presses. It was a relatively slow night. Uh, there weren't many calls for service coming in. Then, around 8.30 in the evening, that all changes when someone dials 911. Communications, this is Jackie, you're on a recorded line. The caller lives in Sunshine Estates, a subdivision on the north side. He hasn't seen his neighbor, David Luntz, in days. We'll go ahead and send somebody right away to check on them. 81 Bravo, I acknowledge the call. I've received calls like that before, so there was nothing unusual or suspicious about it until I arrived on scene. Savage immediately notices things aren't right. His mail still in the mailbox. Uh, the newspapers are still in the front door. The neighbors also heard the TV on inside the residence. The front door is unlocked, 
and what he finds inside is gruesome. The living room area was in disarray. Uh, there were couches overturned, uh, tables overturned. And that's just the beginning of his tour of this house of horrors. On the walls and the ceilings, I can see blood splatter. I can also see what appeared to be a human skull or brain matter fragments on the ceiling and walls. In the middle of the chaos, just inside his bedroom doorway, is David Luntz. From the look of it, he's been shot in the head at point-blank range. For that area of Palm Harbor, the brutality of that crime uh, was shocking. For Deputy Savage, getting to the bottom of this whodunit is not in his line of duty. But it's right up the alley of Pinellas County Detective Tom Klein. He's been with the Sheriff's Office for more than 30 years. And when it comes to connecting the dots, he's a pro. The victim was fighting for his life. He knew that uh, um, he was going to be killed, and he was doing everything he could uh, to keep that from happening. David was stocky, well-built, and powerful. This 56-year-old former Marine wasn't going down without a fight. The crime scene spans three rooms, from the living room all the way to the master bedroom. Investigators wonder, did it take more than one perp to bring this guy down? We collected a spent shotgun slug and a mangled piece of lead that was found on the floor near David's body. So we knew that he had been shot at a close range um, with a shotgun. Then detectives notice a pillow shredded by a gunshot. The perpetrator put the pillow up to David's head and then shot through the pillow, thinking that the sound would be deafened by putting the pillow between the shotgun and David's head. Detectives' first thought is that this is a robbery gone wrong. But when Klein's partner Tim Grundman arrives, the two investigators realize this case is a lot more complex. What we found at the scene led us to believe that this was not an ordinary robbery. There was jewelry, there were watches. The safe had a bunch of cash in it. There's no sign of forced entry, and nothing appears to be stolen. Until a search of the bedroom reveals that something is missing after all. The drawers of the nightstands had been removed and the contents were dumped out. And in one of those nightstands, we found an empty gun case. It was to a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver. So what gives? Maybe the gun case was empty. Or maybe the killer stole it. Grundman knows the serial number is on the gun and on the box. He enters it into the national database, hoping it'll turn up. Still, for the moment, nothing's adding up. This case was extremely frustrating. We had so many theories and there was such a lack of evidence at the crime scene that would point us to any one particular person. It wasn't easy. Then, three rooms away from where the body is found, investigators notice a clue. David's killer might have been an invited guest. We found two small drinking glasses that were on the coffee table. They gave us the impression that David had a visitor that night. The question is, just who was on David's guest list? For Sergeant Klein, it's a puzzle to be solved. But for David's friend, Zip, 
the murder is a lot more personal. I was reading my newspaper and saw a picture of his house with the crime tape around it. And I read it in kind of disbelief that he was dead. I mean, I had seen him just a few days before and he was fine. Zip is devastated. His best friend is lying in the morgue and he simply can't imagine anyone wanting David Luntz dead. Detectives, on the other hand, are making some real headway. They've located a suspect and have a bizarre theory that just might answer Zip's question. For the old fishing village of Palm Harbor, Florida, March 2003 marks the end of innocence. On a quiet suburban street in a community called Sunshine Estates, 56-year-old David Luntz is shot down in his own home. The murder of David Luntz left everybody gasping. I was shocked because it was such a horrific murder. Sally Parks heads up Palm Harbor's historic museum. She knows this town. After all, she's been living here for nearly 50 years. When a homicide happens in Palm Harbor, that's very big news. Residents react with alarm because it is so unusual. This is an all-American community. Kids play out in the street. Retirees barbecue by the pool. And nosy neighbors are always on the lookout for anything out of the ordinary. So, with all those prying eyes, Sergeant Tom Klein is convinced that someone must have seen something. The neighbor that lived directly next door to him was a 93-year-old lady, and she did not hear or see anything. Uh, we talked to the neighbors on the other side of his house. Uh, nobody saw anything. The fact that neighbors saw nothing suspicious could actually be a clue that David's killer didn't stand out. Statistically, murders are committed by people that know the victim. So we were looking for somebody that would know David Lunds. And no one knew David better than his best friend, Zip. They came over and talked to me about David and took everything down that I knew, where we ate, what we did, what time we got home. And I think what they were trying to do is either involve me or get an idea that it wasn't me. But Zip certainly is a long shot. We believe that whoever did this to David was obviously in better shape than he was, and they were able to overpower him, get him down to the floor, and, and shoot him with the shotgun. Not exactly a description of Zip. His age, health, and demeanor prove he's not the killer. And now that he's cleared, he takes a stab at playing detective. I told him about Lynn, the lady that David had met on the beach a week or so before the Thursday that he was uh, killed, and that I thought that it was kind of strange that he meets a new lady and all of a sudden he got killed. With nothing else to go on, investigators take Zip's theory and run with it. They want to find out if maybe David's new girl wasn't the new start he'd had in mind. We found her name and a phone number in his address book, 
So we ran the phone number and got an address for her, and then we paid her a visit to uh, talk with her. Two detectives, meeting a stranger on the beach, any stranger, could spell trouble. Just who is this Lynn, and what was her relationship with David? The woman was shocked to find out that uh, David had been murdered, but she had really no information about him. Uh, she had never been to his house, and she didn't know anything about him other than his wife had just recently passed away. Lynn seems believable. And on top of that, she has an alibi. For detectives, it's a dead end. And it looks like they've reached the bottom of the suspect list. David's circle of friends is small, and his immediate family almost non-existent. The key word, though, is almost. We interviewed neighbors, and someone pointed out to us that David Lund's wife, who had died a month before, had a relative David didn't even know about. The relative is a man named Jake Bradbury. He and Laura had lost touch years before. Recently, they reconnected. But what did she know about this long-lost family member? Did Jake's sudden reappearance spell trouble with David? Maybe even a confrontation that ended in murder. Investigators track him down. He lived in North Florida. So now he becomes a suspect. Grundman and Klein paid Jake a visit. But it's not long before they realize they're wasting their time. When he walked in the house, uh, Detective Klein looked and I looked at each other, and we knew right away that our suspect was not a suspect anymore. He was physically handicapped, and half of his body basically didn't function to the point where he could have won a fight, a very violent fight. Another dead end. For Sergeant Tom Klein, it's back to square one. Luckily, when the going gets tough, the tough get training. I had participated in a few triathlons back in the early 90s, and I decided that I wanted to get back into it again. It's a way to uh, get away from my job. It's my way of relaxing, and the races that I compete in are also challenging. So it's a great feeling of accomplishment. But for Tom Klein, there's no getting away from the fact that Palm Harbor has a brutal murder on its hands, and it's his job to solve it. The investigation is just a few days old. He and Grunman are not about to give up. They keep digging. And the more they dig, the more they learn that this quiet, middle-aged man had a pretty complicated past. We found out that David had an estranged son they had not had contact with in years. His name was Christopher. Chris is David's son from his first marriage, a marriage that ended in divorce when his little boy was just a toddler. Still, with his second wife, Laura, gone, David's son, Christopher, is his next of kin. That means detectives have a job to do. Christopher lived in uh, North Carolina, so we contacted the local police department up there and requested that they make contact with him. The last thing we want to do is notify somebody by phone that their father was killed. They were unable to find him right away, but they left a note on the door to call us. A few days later, Detective Grundman gets a call from Chris Luntz. He didn't ask any details. How was he killed? Who did it? Do you have a suspect in custody? When did it happen? None of these questions were asked. 
but it appears Chris has his reasons. Chris Lund's made this statement to me, forgive me for not being upset, but I barely knew the guy. And then he went on to explain that he had only met David Lund's maybe three times in his entire life. Uh, the last time being 12 or 15 years ago. Sergeant Grundman gets the picture. To Chris Luntz, his dad was a stranger. And this conversation, it appears, is wasting Chris's time and his. For investigators, it feels like they've hit a brick wall. Then, with frustration mounting, they get a break. Another attack has been reported in a town called Tierra Verde not far from Palm Harbor. At the same time we were investigating the murder of David Lunds, another Pinellas County couple was found murdered in a neighboring county. Like David Lunds, Richard and Carla Van Dusen have been shot in the head. And then detectives realize a detail they'd once dismissed may actually link the two cases. We knew that the Van Dusens had a car for sale. We also knew that David Lunds had a vehicle for sale. He had advertised it in one of the local newspapers. So is a murderer scanning the classifieds, searching for his next victim? Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? 
Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Palm trees sway in the breeze along quiet Parkway Place. But residents are on high alert. It's been eight months since retired Marine David Luntz was brutally murdered in his own home. And David's best friend, Zip Cortez, can't believe the killer is still on the loose. I've lived in this area for 27 years, and I can't remember of anything like this happening. It was a shock, and I wanted someone to pay for it. Zip may be baffled by David's murder, but Detective Klein just got a major break. A couple about the same age as David, Richard and Carla Van Dusen, are murdered in the nearby town of Tierra Verde. Detectives immediately see a similarity. Our biggest concern was the fact that the Van Dusens had a vehicle for sale and that David Lunds had a vehicle for sale. Initially, Investigators hadn't given much thought to the fact that David Luntz was selling his late wife's car. Now they wonder, did they miss something? Then detectives locate the Van Dusen's truck in the parking lot of a local apartment complex. The Hillsborough detectives found the person that had purchased the pickup truck. They approached him and and were talking to him about uh, how he came in possession of that vehicle. His name is William DeParvine. And he's got a rap sheet longer than the Florida Turnpike. Arson, forgery, grand theft, and a slew of weapons charges. Still, DeParvine claims he's changed his ways, that everything's legit, that he paid for the truck. Investigators, though, suspect that the currency wasn't exactly legal tender. Mr. DeParvine approached the Van Dusen's about buying a classic Chevrolet pickup truck. Um, which he did, and then he murdered Mr. and Mrs. Van Dusen and took the truck. DNA places DeParvine at the scene of the crime. He's arrested for murder, convicted, and sentenced to death. But did he also kill David Luntz? Sergeant Tom Klein weighs the evidence. The Van Dusens were killed outside. David was killed inside his house. In the Van Dusen's case, the vehicle was actually sold and was in the possession of uh, the person responsible for the murder. In David's case, his vehicle was never sold. Plus, there's another problem. A big problem. William DeParvine has an alibi. One as strong as a gator's clenched jaw. I found out that William DeParvine was at a work release prison in St. Petersburg. And he was at the facility on the night that David Lunds was murdered. So that eliminated him as a suspect in our case. It's a huge letdown. Investigators have hit the wall before. But this time, it feels like a 10-car pileup. At this point in time, the investigation was becoming stale very quickly. We had no leads to follow up on. We had no information to follow up on. We had no evidence to follow up on. So the case was pretty much the same as it was the very first day that we got it. 
Months pass, then years. More than two years. The case is now as cold as a buffalo winter's day. And investigators aren't the only ones frustrated. I followed it closely. Uh, I cut out all the newspaper clippings. And I uh, called Detective Klein probably every six weeks on an average to find out if anything was going on, any progress or anything. And the answer is always the same, no. Nine months after the incident, we still had nothing solid. Sergeant Grundmund has hit the wall before, and he knows at times like this, you need some perspective, like the view from a pitcher's mound. When I'm out there pitching, I try to get away from everything that, that I deal with. I've seen some bad stuff in my life, so I've got to have a way to focus on something else. On the softball diamond, fortunes can turn in an instant. Luckily, the same thing can happen when you're investigating a murder. Like on October 29, 2005, when in a split second, the David Luntz case goes from ice cold to red hot. I came to work on a Monday morning. I had a uh, phone mail message from an investigator in North Carolina advising me that um, this piece of evidence had been found in North Carolina. The piece of evidence is a gun, a Smith & Wesson 38. And it's a piece of evidence that someone hoped would never see the light of day. The investigator in North Carolina told me that the firearm had been found in a lake that had been drained. The handguns turned into local North Carolina police. They run the serial number, and it's a match to a gun stolen from David Luntz two years earlier and over 500 miles away. And for Detective Klein, the news is like a rush of adrenaline. When we make that connection, I'm thinking that we finally found a break in the case. We finally had something that we could go on, something concrete that we could actually look into, because there should be no reason for that handgun to be found in a lake in North Carolina. Finding David's gun is a huge break. But finding out what it's doing almost 600 miles from the scene of the crime shocks even these seasoned detectives. Get more Nightmare Next Door online at investigation.discovery.com. On a November morning in 2005, the sleepy town of Palm Harbor, Florida, wakes up to some big news there's been a major break in a murder case that's gone unsolved for almost three years. The brutal slaying of 56-year-old David Luntz. I read in the paper that they found the 38 caliber revolver that David Luntz had in his dresser drawer at the bottom of a lake, and they traced it back to David the lake is almost 600 miles from Palm Harbor, in the Smoky Mountains of western North Carolina. This rugged terrain is the home turf of Macon County Lieutenant Brian Leopard. And when he hears a dead man's gun has been found in his neck of the woods, he knows it's no coincidence. What that gun meant was whoever killed Mr. Luntz in Florida was in this area uh, because it was a remote lake, that's just not something that's on the normal beaten path around here. For Detective Leopard, finding David Luntz's gun 
shines a light on a mystery that's dogged him for months. He grew up in these parts. Folks around here trust him with their secrets. And a while back, someone told him quite a story. There was a young lady who came into the sheriff's office and said that uh, she had some information uh, that her boyfriend might have been involved in a homicide and she needed to talk to someone about it. Her name was Joanna Marino, and her boyfriend was a man called William Westerman. She told the detective that Westerman had confided in her that he and a friend shot a man in Florida two years ago. She didn't know who or why, but she wanted Leopard to investigate. I had some doubts that what she was saying was truthful, not just rumor. Lieutenant Leopard had reason to be skeptical. Maybe Joanna and her boyfriend got into a fight, and this was her way of getting him into trouble. Still, he agreed to look into it. We had actually been down to his house and and spoke with him. There was nothing there. At the time, Westerman claimed to have no idea what Leopard was talking about. What murder? Who was killed? Seems like a case of he said, she said. Leopard lets it go. But now he's got a gun and a sneaking suspicion. So he calls the detective in charge of the Luntz case, Sergeant Tom Klein. Detective Klein gave me a couple questions to ask her things that had not been released to the public about some items that had been taken from the crime scene, and she was able to provide the answers. For months, Detective Brian Leppard had a potential suspect in a murder, but no victim. Detective Tom Klein had a murder victim, but no suspect. In an instant, everything makes sense. Tom Klein jumps in the car and heads north. We went to the girlfriend's house, Uh, She did not know we were coming. Uh, We asked her if she would cooperate with our case. She did. Minutes into the interview, Sergeant Klein realizes he struck gold. She started giving me details about the murder of David Lunds that were so specific and so accurate. There was no doubt in my mind that she was giving us information that she had gotten from the killer. Joanna starts right from the beginning. Westerman told his girlfriend that uh, he had gone on a road trip with a friend down to Florida. When they were en route, his friend told Westerman that he wanted to kill somebody. The details are chilling. The girlfriend told us that Westerman had put a pillow up to David's head and pulled the trigger of a shotgun, a sawed-off shotgun. When Joanna first heard the story, she thought Westerman was all talk. Then, she tells investigators, something convinced her he was telling the truth. He had a gash in his head. She asked him what had happened, and at that time, it's when he confided in her that when he pulled the trigger, the barrel of the gun kicked back and and cut him in the head. And she's got proof. She had a photograph of him with that injury, which she was able to retrieve for us that same night. So now we had a picture of William Westerman from March of 2003 with an injury to his head from the shotgun itself when he killed David Lunds. The story that she told and the details she gave, I knew when we finished that she was telling the truth. 
there was just too great a detail. In a matter of days, this case has gone from cold as ice to a pending arrest. From the information we got from the girlfriend, we had enough to get an arrest warrant for Westerman for the murder of David Lons. With his back against a wall, William Westerman suddenly gets his memory back. He's nothing like the silent type Leopard interviewed a few months back. Westerman voluntarily came to the sheriff's office. Uh, the detectives from Pinellas County started the interview with him. Um, and right off the bat, he knew what they were there to talk to him about, his posture, his demeanor. He gave it up. It was not a, a difficult interrogation. Um, he just came clean. It was like a, a burden was being lifted off of his chest. Westerman tells the story in graphic detail, including the very moment he pulled the trigger. He described the enormous amount of blood that spattered all through that room. He described how the blood uh, went all over him. He even went so far to describe the taste of the blood in his mouth. For Detective Tom Klein, there's no doubt. Everything that Westerman told us fit perfectly with the crime scene. The only way he would have known that information is if he was there. But this isn't the end of the story. Sergeant Klein knows Westerman was definitely not the brains behind this operation. Luckily, he's got a pretty good idea who was. Someone from the Tar Heel State. Someone detectives spoke to in the first days of the investigation. Turns out that at the time of the murder, he lived nearby to this lake where the gun was found. And by nearby, he means just a few miles away. And that person is none other than the victim's estranged son, Chris Luntz. But why would Chris want to kill his father? a man he never knew. Investigators intend to find out. In the wilds of Western North Carolina, the investigation into the murder of David Luntz shifts into high gear. One suspect is already in custody. The other, the murder victim's own son, is still on the loose. After we arrested uh William Westerman, we focused on getting an arrest warrant for Christopher Lunds. Chris was the driving force behind the plan. There would have been no reason for William Westerman to come to Florida just to kill David Lunds. There was no motive there. On the other hand, there was plenty of motive on the part of Christopher Lunds. Westerman tells them Chris Lunds hated his father for abandoning his family. But why would he kill a man he's had nothing to do with for years? The answer is simple, greed. Chris had devised this plan to kill his father with the hopes of inheriting something from his father's estate. When Chris heard his stepmother had died, he figured that left him as his dad's next of kin. In his mind, that meant a chance at some cold, hard cash. And after David's death, he tried to collect. There was an attorney handling David's will she told me that Chris showed up at the office one day and was basically asking, when can I pick up my dad's stuff? When Chris found out that his dad had left him out of the will, he was pissed. The attorney told me that he basically threw a fit inside the office and stormed out. 
looks like Chris didn't do his homework. His dad left his entire estate to some old friends up north. It is a motive, but when it comes to hard evidence, there isn't much. No eyewitnesses, no fingerprints, no DNA, nothing. But they do have an accomplice in custody. When William Westerman found out that there was not enough evidence on Christopher, that Christopher might not even be charged, that's when he decided he wasn't going to go down for something that Christopher had led him into doing. Westerman cuts a deal with authorities. He'll cooperate, even testify against his old friend Chris. Now investigators are convinced they have all they need, a motive and an accomplice willing to talk. A Florida court agrees and issues an arrest warrant for Chris Luntz. But things don't go according to plan. When a warrant was issued for Christopher Lund's arrest for the homicide, he fled. For days, no one has any idea where he is. Then Chris makes a phone call, and it's not to police. It's to the local ABC affiliate, WLOS. I happen to be standing right there next to the assignment editor when he takes this call and tells me, hey, this guy wants to turn himself in in front of our cameras. For longtime TV reporter John Lee, it's a shocker. A wanted fugitive wants to surrender to him. At first, honestly, uh, the stupid part of me said, yeah, let's go meet, let's go talk to this guy and see what, what's up. But then as it sunk in, I thought, wait a minute, this guy is a suspected killer. So John calls the sheriff's department and they come up with a plan. They arrange to meet Chris at a scenic overlook along Highway 441. I wasn't sure really if I should be doing this or what, but I'm like, okay, uh, I guess I have all these authorities around me. He, he seems like he's, you know, really wants to, to turn himself in. So let's go for it. The whole thing was just kind of surreal. We pull up to this overlook and there he is and I get to within about five feet from him. He starts yelling out strange quotes from movies. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Chris felt like he had the power. Felt like he was able to dictate what was happening. After Chris was arrested, he was placed in the car. We brought him back to the sheriff's office and there was no discussion whatsoever. News of the arrest soon reaches Palm Harbor and detective Tom Klein hits the road heading for North Carolina. But even in handcuffs, getting information from Chris Luntz is anything but easy. We tried to ask him some questions, and he would talk around the questions. He never wanted to give us a straight answer about anything. I need to, I need to get the specifics on one situation that happened, uh, some basic information. He was trying to play mind games with everybody. He still was wanting to try to be in control, and at that point in time, he wasn't in control. Uh, law enforcement was in control. Every person I've ever met, every situation I've ever been in, whether it be good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, um, played a role, played a hand in uh, my actions. The evidence is stacked against him. And with his old friend, William Westerman, planning to testify, Chris's chances don't look good. In early June 2006, the trial gets underway. 
Still, Chris is determined to beat the rap and decides the best way to do it is to represent himself. Chris Lunds was so arrogant that he thought he could present his case better than an attorney, that he was the only person that could get him um, found not guilty. Zip Cortese doesn't miss a day of the trial, and he has no sympathy for the man who took the life of his best friend. When I had to listen to how it happened and why it happened for his money, I wanted to jump across and hit him. I felt like he needed to be hit. He needed to go up. As the trial winds down, Chris Luntz is sure he'll get off. He even plans a press conference to announce his acquittal. But on June 8, 2006, when the jury returns its verdict, it's guilty. Murder in the first degree. For investigators, it's a real victory. It took us two and a half years, but David got justice by his killer being convicted and put behind bars. It it was a real good feeling. After thousands of man hours, detectives finally think they know what went down on March 6, 2003. A day that started with a road trip when Chris Luntz and William Westerman took off, heading due south on I-75. Obviously, they had called ahead because David was expecting company. David welcomes them into his house. They come in. David gets him a drink, puts it on a coffee table in the living room. This is where it goes bad. Chris grabs David from behind. But the former Marine was trained to defend himself. Christopher and David are wrestling on the ground, and Christopher's yelling, shoot him, shoot him. William puts the pillow over the end of the shotgun, and boom, fight's over, David's dead. William panics and runs. Chris stays behind, searches for valuables, steals David's handgun, then heads back to the car. They return to North Carolina. Then Chris, fearing the gun could tie him to the murder, dumps it in a lake, never thinking that one day it just might reappear. William Westerman is sentenced to 30 years in prison for his part in the murder. The ringleader, Chris Luntz, is sentenced to life in prison, a sentence that ended in 2009 when he killed another inmate, then took his own life. Christopher Lunds really needed to spend 40 or 50 years in prison. He took the easy way out. And for those left behind, the pain of losing David Lunds hasn't gone away. I still miss David. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll go by. And I'll just drive by real slow and think. And I get emotional because it was... Such a dumb thing to do. Just no words. Today, Palm Harbor can finally rest easy. Folks are back on the beach, relaxing by the pool, strolling in the sunshine. But the murder of one of their own, every man, David Luntz, has left a little hole right in the very heart of this small town. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 